Why don't we give him a big shout? Come on! Why don't we give Jesus a big shout of praise? Big shout of praise! We honor you! We love you, Lord! We worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Oh, you are seated. <laughs> Let's thank our musicians. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful. Do you know, I was just, um, just speaking to a, to a lady uh, just down there as we were praying. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it's interesting, isn't it, that, that verse in Psalm 23, verse 5, where David said, in the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table, or you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And uh, it's just interesting that it's out in life that he prepares a table. You know, you would think that God would prepare a table before David, that wonderful king that served him with all of his heart, in the temple. I mean, really, it would be the temple that you would expect God to prepare a table. But it wasn't in the, ta it wasn't in the temple where God prepared the table for David. It was out there in life, where you get knocked down, when you get hit hard, when... Everything is crumbling. That's where you meet him. And, you know, God didn't wait for a convenient moment. This should encourage us. God didn't wait for a, a convenient moment that was conducive for him when everything was right. No. He just saw all of those enemies around David, hitting him hard, knocking him down, causing him to be afraid. And... I'm sure the Lord thought, well, now's about right. This is about the right time, right here, right now, where I'm going to set out my table for my servant. I want all of these enemies around him to see him feasting at my table. I want all of his enemies around him that have caused him so much pain, that have tried to bring him down that have caused him to doubt and caused him to fear and caused him to question life and even to question his trust in me. I want them all to see that I'm still with him, that I love him, that he's not the man who they say he is. I want to show them that I'm going to serve him. And God just pulls back a chair, says, Hey, David, come on, boy. We haven't got to wait till we get to the temple. I'm going to do it right here. Sit down. Let me pour you a glass of the new wine. Let me, let me show you my promises again. And he feeds him. And David feasts in the, in, the, in the presence of his enemies. And then God goes ahead and just anoints his head with oil. And that's when his enemies know it's over. Because when God touches your head... Your life is going to overflow. Your cup is going to overflow. And that's what he's done this morning. And he's going to keep doing in this place. Anointing our head for our cup to overflow. It brings great glory. It brings great glory to God. 
when our cup just overflows, overflows. The enemy hates the overflow in your life, the overflow of God's life, the overflow of God's promises, the overflow of his blessing, of his favor. He hates it, but God loves it. And that is what you and I are destined for. Overflow, overflow. Get that word in your mind, overflow, because you're going to be experiencing a lot of it. You really are. Overflow. Surely my cup overflows. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, I had a fantastic day yesterday. An absolutely fantastic day. And um, I was just so excited. And the most outstanding moment of my day yesterday was when I was on my mountain bike. I tell you what, I love riding that bike. It's fantastic. Well, I went over Tumbalam, went round the, uh, did a couple of trails over there that I love to do. And uh, on my way back, I was going up this fire road. And the Holy Spirit, you see, the reason why it was a wonderful day is because the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And you know when he speaks to you, oh, those moments, they're so precious. I love it. It's wonderful to have the Holy Spirit walking with you and talking with you, encouraging you and instructing you to do his work. And I was on my bike pedaling away. And he said, you know those two little Bibles you got in your backpack? He said, you need to get them out. I said, yes, sir. So I stopped at a gate. I had to pull my bike over and got, got my two Bibles out. I, no, I got one Bible out. I had two. I always carry. I was instructed a couple of years ago to put Bibles in my pack. And I always carry Bibles. I've got to reload it when I go home because I'm going cycling later. So um, somebody's going to get it later. So uh, I had my little Bible. In my pocket, and I saw a man in the distance walking about seven dogs. They were walking him, I think. So um, I said, Lord, if you make an opportunity for me, I'm going to give that man a Bible. As clear as I'm talking to you, the Holy Spirit said, You make the opportunity. <laughs> yes, Lord, I will. Make the opportunity. So I'm, after I said that, I was kind of wondering how I was going to do it. I pulled up alongside the man. I said, um, Sir, bit of an unusual question on the side of a mountain. Yes, he said, Would you like a Bible? Yes, please, he said. I said, fantastic. I would love to give you a Bible. Out it came. Handed him the Bible. I said, oh, sir. I said, Jesus loves you so much. I said, and in this Bible, I said, there's a, there's a little page at the beginning of the Bible. And I said, I turn to it often. And I said, it's a page that at the top of it, it says where to find help. He said, yeah, he said. He said, I can see it. I said, I need lots of help in my life, and I said, I often turn to this little page, and, and I find help from the Word of God. 
I said, I encourage you to turn to that because life is full of ups and downs. And I said, but in the Bible, you will find help. Jesus loves you. Thank you, he said. Off I went. Well, after that, I got my other little Bible out, put it in my pocket. I said, who's next, Lord? Up I went on the trail, and there was a lady, young lady, actually, with her two children walking up to the top of the mountain. I said, good afternoon. Bit of an unusual question on the side of the mountain. But can I ask you, would you like a Bible? No, she said. I said, are you sure? Wouldn't you like a Bible? I said, life is so uncertain, so problem-filled. I said, wouldn't you like the Word of God to help you? No, she said. I said, oh. I thought, well, I'll try another tact before I go. I said, listen, this book will bless your life. Oh, she said, if it'll bless my life, I'll have it. <laughs> See, you've got there's many different routes into the heart. you just got to find one. I said, there you go, my love. You take that book, and I said, it'll bless your children. It'll bless your home. It'll bless your life and anybody else's life that comes into contact with it. There you go, my love. You have it. God bless you. And off I went. That made my day. I live for that. You live for that. That's, I tell you what, that was for me the most outstanding thing of my day yesterday. And I want every day to be a day like that. I really do. So later, I'm going to be on my little bike. Backpack's going to be loaded up with some Bibles. And I'm sure I'm going to see some people that I'm going to just ask an unusual question to on the side of a mountain. Would you like a Bible? And hopefully they'll receive it. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a series of messages that we've called Making Your Life Count. The way that you and I can make our lives count. Many, many different ways for God. One of the ways is by reaching out to people around us. Sharing the good news of God's love. Sharing the good news of salvation. That Jesus loves them. Wants to, wants to change their lives and help them. Making your life count. That's how you can make your life count. By reaching out to the world around you. Can you pass me my glasses, Faye? And that's what we're going to continue looking at this morning. How to make our lives count. Providing I put my reading glasses on. How to make our lives count for Christ in the world in which we live. In a moment, we're going to turn again to Romans chapter 16. 
And as you know, in, this mess, in, in, in that chapter, in that final chapter, in Romans chapter 16, Paul is commending men and women who have given their lives over to the cause of Christ, men and women who are going to make their lives count and who have made their lives count as they've laid them down for Jesus. But as we begin this morning, I want to just begin by reading you a short advertisement that appeared in a London newspaper many years ago that raised a great stir in men's hearts. It read, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition only in the case of success. A short to the point appeal in a London newspaper and within hours that appeal drew thousands of men to respond to its call because it was signed by the noted Arctic explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton. That made the difference. 26 men would be chosen, hand-picked by Shackleton himself for the voyage that was called endurance. If Jesus Christ advertised for followers and workers, how do you think that advertisement might read? Let me put this suggestion to you. Men and women wanted for the difficult task of serving in my church. All hell will come against you, but it will never prevail. I will strengthen you in all things. The very things you don't want to do, fear to do, and even the things that seem far beyond your natural capabilities, you will say, I can do. I can do all things through Christ. This will be the propulsion of your life. You will grow used to feeling weak and out of your depth. But this crushing sense of weakness will be the very key to open the door to my own strength. Weakness, challenge, and unforeseen crisis will often be the means that leads you to all-sufficient grace. You will learn to thrive in the midst of them. Attacks of many kinds are imminent, so remaining alert will be vital, as both visible and invisible enemies will engage in live fire. It's highly unlikely that you will see the results of your labor in your lifetime, and your full reward will not come till after all of your work is complete and your life has passed from this world. Following me will require you to carry your cross in readiness to give to anyone that might want to nail you to it. Love will never fail. Your home, your ambitions, your feelings and personal plans, even your very life will all, if necessary, have to be readily hand, uh, laid down for the one who laid down his life for you. You'll never be alone. 
I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Weeping may last for a night, but shouts of joy will come in the morning. You are more than conquerors through my strength, signed Jesus Christ. And I'm glad to tell you that multiple millions are responding to that call every single minute of the day across our world as the Lord calls his people from darkness into his glorious, glorious life. Hallelujah. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, answered that call as a child at the age of five. As a child, Hudson said, when I am a man, I will be a missionary and go to China. Then as a young man, he said, I feel I cannot go on living unless I do something for China. Late in life, as a veteran missionary, Overviewing his life that he had lived in China, he said, If I had a thousand lives, I'd give them all to China. Evan Roberts found the same passion that Hudson Taylor had for the Principality of Wales. After many nights of being in the presence of the Holy Spirit, he said, I want to travel the length and breadth of Wales, telling men and women about the glorious grace and the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if it were possible, I would pay God himself to do it. That is passion, my friends. That is supernatural life pulsating in the hearts of God's people. And this is what a cup overflowing looks like. The Holy Spirit is stirring our passion. The Holy Spirit, in His power and in His love, is going to energize our very lives to be all He's called us to be as His people, the church. The people who Paul was commending in Romans chapter 16 were people of passion who had answered the call on their lives from Christ, their King. When reading Romans chapter 16, many would just see a list of names, a list of names of people long since dead and gone. But this chapter, as we are seeing, is far more than just a list of names. Here are people who Love Jesus. Here are people who laid their lives down for the call and the cause of Christ in their time. And the Apostle Paul lovingly commended them. They lived exemplary lives for Christ. Captured by his love, the only thing suitable that they could do was to give their life as a gift over in service unto him. All of them gave their lives for the spread of the wonderful news of the gospel throughout 
their world. It's such an exciting chapter when we read it because it's filled with all kinds of people from all different kinds of backgrounds, from the, the great heights of influence right down to slave level. And yet God is using them all. And they all, they all unite in a purpose to spread the wonderful aroma of the good news of the gospel to the world in which they were living. Now today we're going to look and read about a husband and wife called Andronicus and Junior. And Paul commends them highly. And he wants all of the church at Rome to greet them because of their exemplary service and character that they had in giving their lives to Christ. Let me read to you from verse 7. We're just going to focus on verse 7 of Romans chapter 16. This is how Paul commends this couple. He says this, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsfolk and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding in the view of the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Andronicus and Junia, a husband and wife team, Paul commends. These are the next two names that Paul brings before us as he brought before the church at Rome. And it's such a, a short commendation, really, that Paul speaks about this husband and wife. For us to get a picture of Andronicus and Junior and the caliber of their characters... I'd like to liken this couple to your long-distance marathon runners. That's what they were like. If you want a picture to draw on as to what they were like, that's what they were like. Runners in a long-distance race, enduring every trial, every circumstance that came their way. These two people weren't like your sprinter that uses all of their strength in speed over a short distance only to collapse at the finish line exhausted. No, Andronicus and Junior were long distance endurance runners. This couple, as we'll see, had been following Jesus, running hard in the race for well over 25 years. I remember one, one morning, riding, a lot of memories about riding my bike. Remember, riding one morning, traversing across a steep section of mountain, when all of a sudden, a man comes running up the mountain that I'm traversing across. All he had on was a pair of running shoes and a skimpy pair of shorts. He was drenched with perspiration from head to foot. And the, the morning sun was glistening on his body. And he was running, toiling, laboring to get up this mountain. And as he 
ran across my path. His head turned and our eyes caught. And this smile came across his face. And off he went, carried on to summit. A little bit further on down the track, he came across the trail again and passed me now on the way down the mountain. There was no track that he was running on. Each step, he made his own trail. Whether going up or whether going down, this man was running strong with all of his might, with all of his energy. And as I think about Andronicus and Junior, I picture them just like this man, running over every form of terrain, unabated by the challenges, undeterred by the obstacles, running on the long flats with patience and endurance, running, scrambling to the summit, as obstacles come in their way, going up the hill, going down the hill, irrespective of what their course was, whatever their life brought before them, they maintained their pace for Jesus year in and year out. Sweating, but smiling along the way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Never let life take your smile. Never let life put a scowl on the inside. The life of God inside of us causes us, irrespective of the circumstances that we face, the life of God within us, hallelujah, puts a smile inside us that can contend with everything that life brings our way. Similarly, the Apostle Paul ached to fulfill God's all-consuming purpose for his life. Listen to him recount his deepest desire to the believers at Philippi. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14, words you'll know well. He says this, No, dear brothers, I am still not all I should be, but I am bringing all of my energies to bear on this one thing. Are you ready to bring all of your energies to bear on this one thing? Just like the Apostle Paul. I'm bringing all of my energies to bear on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. Running hard. Enduring, irrespective of the terrain and how rough it can be. Running undeterred for Christ. That's the picture of this couple. And that's the picture that Paul is straining. That, 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 sorry, that Paul is painting as he commends them. Paul tells us from the words that he speaks that... Andronicus and Junius were fellow Jews just like him. And he makes an important point. This is an important point for us to understand the caliber of these people. In telling us that they were in Christ before him. And Paul here is underscoring 
and emphasizing the longevity and commitment of this couple as they'd followed Jesus undeterred. He wants everybody to know that fact about them. That's why he says it. They were in Christ before me, he says. So this couple had seen firsthand the explosive growth of the early church as it began. They would have known the excitement of the church rapidly spreading and growing and the gospel changing millions and millions of lives. They would have also experienced the backlash of persecution of which Paul, then known as Saul of Tarsus, was heading up before he had met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Do you remember? Saul of Tarsus had witnessed the stoning of Stephen in cold blood and agreed to it. Andronicus and Junior knew that Saul of Tarsus had given his life to destroy the church that they were trying to build with Jesus. Andronicus and Junius, like many others, back in those years would have fled in terror of Saul as he went on his religious rampage to destroy homes and families and break them apart and throw people into prison. But oh, what a day it must have been when Andronicus and Junior heard the news that Saul of Tarsus had fallen captive to the greatest power of all. Our risen Savior Jesus appeared to Saul on the road, on the Damascus road, and thrown him off his donkey. A glory brighter than the noonday sun suddenly appeared and Jesus manifested in his glory and all Saul of Tarsus could say, Who are you, Lord? And the answer was loud and unmistakable and never to be forgotten by this man. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And Saul's only response was, what would you have me to do for you, Lord? And that's where it all began for this man, in an encounter in the dust on the Damascus road. That's where his cup began to overflow from an encounter. His life completely changed and he became sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure that Andronicus and Junior never in their wildest dreams thought that one day they would be in a prison cell sharing it with the great Apostle Paul for the cause of the gospel. With Paul, this couple faced great extremes. Their lives came under terrific pressure, but they did not break. They stayed strong. So Paul commends them. He commends Andronicus and Junior 
because they had more than 25 years of history in their lives of pursuing, serving, and enduring to lay their lives down for Christ Jesus. Paul here calls everyone to salute them for the many faithful years of service that this couple had given. This couple hadn't just arrived on the scene. They were long-standing people, followers of Jesus. And you know, that's the kind of people that I want to set my sights on. It really is. That's the kind of people that I want to learn from. Their example. Not all the high flyers and the big talkers. Nah, no thanks. That's all right. As for me, I want to look to people who have their roots laid down. And I'll receive instruction from them. And I'll follow their example. That's what I want. Many years ago, I remember, and we're going to go over a little this morning, but that's all right. Because the Lord is investing here into us. Remember hearing a story many years ago now, as a young man. And it was, of, uh, it was about a Baptist man, a Baptist brother, he went to the Baptist church. And as a young man, he decided to lay his roots down in the local church that he attended. He decided in his heart, come what may, that his life was going to be anchored and rooted like an oak tree among the family of believers that God had called him into. A little Baptist church. Well, the years passed. People came. And people went. The church went through its ups. And the church went through its downs. Up and down. Up and down. I'm always encouraged when Norman has a big smile on his face. <laughs> She's a blessing, I tell you. Church went through its ups. And it went through its downs. People came. And people went. But this man remained. This man remained. For 38 years, he remained in that church. And when he was asked one day why he'd been so faithful, why he remained, why amidst all of the turbulent times, all of the storms that the church had gone through, why he rooted himself in. He simply responded by saying, well, I want to be obedient to the word of the Lord. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of their God. And I've rooted my life down here. I've seen the, I've seen the, the great celebrations we've had and I've seen some of the darker times that we've gone through. But you know what? In the midst of all of the changing weather patterns in this church, my life has flourished because I've rooted down in the courts of the Lord. I remember when I heard that. In my heart, I said, Lord, I want to be a man like that. 
That's what I want to be like. I want to be a man like that. I think there's a lot to learn from people like that. And there are people like that among us. They're among us. Look around. They're here. Oaks of righteousness. Learn from them. Go under their branches for shelter. They're faithful. They're not going to double-cross you. They're not going to turn on you. They're oaks of righteousness planted. There's longevity in their lives. Been here for many years. Experienced all the changing weather patterns and the buffetings of this local church. They're still here. Be encouraged by them. And follow their example. Andronicus and Junior were a couple like this. That's why Paul commended them. And he honors them further by saying that they were outstanding. They had outstanding lives among the apostles. This couple were outstanding among the outstanding. That's what he's saying. Oh, what a prospect. Jesus can make you outstanding. I want to be an outstanding person. I don't know about you. I can't make myself outstanding, but the life of God in us can make us outstanding. There was an outstanding quality about this couple's life that their longevity gave them. And this word means to be remarkable, eminent, exemplary, and notable. That's what the life of God does within each and every one of us in different ways. It gives us an outstanding quality. It makes us remarkable and eminent. It gives us eminence in our character, in our being, in our lives. That's what serving Jesus results in. You know, I really do believe as I've studied this couple, I believe that they were in the latter years of their life. Just from the fact of they were in Christ before Paul, over 25 years had elapsed. So this was possibly an aged couple, older in the Lord. And what, I, what encourages me when I think about that is this, that even though they were in the latter years of their life, their lives weren't diminishing or eroding or perishing. There was an outstanding flourishing about their lives, even in their old age. Yeah, our bodies become weak. Our bodies become frail. We feel, as we get older, life's limitations. Yet our lives, even in old age, can shine and have outstanding qualities about it, just like this couple as we endure, as we remain. Amen.
As we come just to a close today, I want to again, again remind you of words that were spoken by the Apostle Paul in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. I want to read it to you because I believe that it epitomizes this exhortation that Paul gives to this couple and to all believers. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Andronicus and Junia exampled these very words over and over again throughout all of the years with their very lives steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord because they knew that their toil was not in vain. It was unto the Lord. And the greatest offering, the greatest gift that they could give to the love that they had received from Jesus Christ was the offering of their very lives. And that they did. They were steadfast. And the idea behind this word is to be Firmly situated right where you are. Not to be moved or moved about or moved away from where you're supposed to be serving God. It's like being anchored down, rooted like a great oak in your place of service in the church of God. Literally, the, in the Greek language, it means to be settled and seated firmly. Then secondly, Paul uses a word here, the word immovable. And it's the same idea of being steadfast. So Paul is going further to reinforce his first point. He's saying, don't be inconsistent. Don't start and stop and fail to finish by leaving what you have begun. Keep going. Don't grow weary in well-doing. It's easy to start things, isn't it? But the test is how we're going to finish what we start. And then he says that we're to always abound, always abounding, which means at all times to be abundant in our service unto God. And that's the directive, to always abound in the work of the Lord, wherever we are. This word abounding means to literally exceed all expectations. To exceed the number required. Do more than what you're asked for. Over and over again, abound, whether it's in work Exceed their expectations. Don't just turn up for work and clock in and clock out and say, that's my job done. Go in there serving God, not serving your employer. You watch what happens. You watch what happens. When you go with that motivation, with your cup overflowing, seeking to overflow into every duty, into every aspect in which you're involved. You see, you wait and see what happens. 
When you go in with that mentality, exceed expectation. In other words, don't do the minimum for God or as little as possible. Exceed, exceed, exceed. Be abundant and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because his work is not work that will be vain. It's not work that will not be honored. It's not empty. It has great, great reward attached to it. The word vain means empty. And our labor as a church, as a, as a family of God's people, will never, ever be in vain. God's going to return his investment or your investment. God's going, there's a return. There's a return on your investment. And when you serve people, you'll find, you'll find that your service to them will bring greater joy to you than to them. It's a strange, strange thing. It really is. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close in just a moment. Let me, uh, let me say this to you. I remember years ago, and um, Pauline, Pauline Don will remember this, because uh, Pauline was in hospital. And uh, I, I'd heard about it, and I th you know, as a pastor, I wanted to go and visit Pauline. I thought, you know what? She's a faithful lady, her and her husband, Joe, faithful over many years, oaks of righteousness planted in the house of God, seen all the storms, Pauline, seen the dark clouds, hallelujah, the rainstorms, still here. And I, listen, I could say that about everybody here, okay? But uh, I remember going up, just talking about abounding in the work of the Lord and serving others. I remember going up to hospital to encourage Pauline, just to encourage her. And uh, there she was in, in the bed, smiling. I went over, sat down. How are you, Pauline? I'm good. Started talking and I... I read, read a little verse, and then all of a sudden, the tables turned. She started to encourage me. Now, she's in the bed in need. Right? I'm supposed to be the strong one. Going to visit Pauline as Pastor Dave. I sit down, my God. The Spirit of God starts to speak through her, and she starts to minister to me. I, I leave the hospital ward that day. I think, my God, I went to minister to her, but in fact, I needed ministering to. And a woman in, on her sickbed, right, ministered to me with the life of God. She's weak. I went away strong. How does that work? How does that work? I tell you something now. When you set out to just help somebody else, encourage them, 
I guarantee it, it's the strangest thing, right? It's the strangest thing of all. You become more blessed than they do by your sacrifice, by your service. Listen, over the coming weeks, look around in church. Look around in church. We need each other more than ever. Go up to somebody and encourage them. And, and listen, let me tell you one of the greatest ways in which you can work in the Lord's work, right? The first one is, is just by, you know, just going out and telling people about Jesus, right? Just tell them about Jesus. Don't become, you know, weird and all of that. Just look for opportunities, you know, you hear stupid stories about people on mountain, on mountains riding bikes, asking silly questions. I mean, don't be like that. No, but you, you know, just, just be sensible. Be sensible and, and, and look for an opportunity to tell, tell somebody. I don't know what it is when you tell somebody about Jesus. I, I don't know what it is, but something happens. It's scary. Right? Every time I do it, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared that I'm going to look stupid. That's not hard to do. It comes natural. But I am scared. But I tell you, my God, I go away. I think, even if I get rejected, even I, I just think, Lord, I did it. Thank you. I just wanted to do it for you, Lord, and for them. Right? Something happens. So that's the number one way in which you can work for God. The other way in which you can work for God is in the local church. In the local church. In, in the months and in the years to come, you're going to find opportunities here to serve and to use your skill and to use your gifting. Maybe use your home. To, to be a blessing to the church. But let me show you, because sometimes we miss this one, right? And I really wanna, I really wanna show you how you, can, how you can work mightily in the church. And it's through prayer, praying. Praying for your brothers and sisters. You might not even tell them. You get on your knees for them. You pray for them. What a gift that you're giving to them when you give your time on your knees for their lives and you pray God's blessing on them. You pray God's promises over them. Epaphroditus, or Epaphras, sorry. Epaphras was such a man. And Paul honors him. In Colossians, I'm going to finish with this, but I want to show you, show you this because you may go away today and you, you may say, do you know what? I, I can't do much physically in the King's Church. I, I, my, my time's taken up with work. I've I got lots of stuff on. Do you know that's absolutely fine? We completely understand that. Some of you desperately want to just practically get involved in church life, and you can't. You might not have a car. You, you, th there's lots of things that tax our time. Do you know what? We understand that, so don't ever feel bad about that. But you can pray. And this is, this is such an amazing work that you can undertake for this church. Okay? Colossians chapter 4. Listen to how Epaphras prayed for the church at Colossae. 
Colossians chapter 4, verse 12 through to verse 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Oh, my God. Always laboring fervently for the King's Church in your prayers. Always laboring fervently for your brothers and sisters that are out there in life going through it in prayer. In prayer you can do a great work. In prayer you can get on your knees and give your time as a gift to your brothers and sisters and they may never know of it. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers. That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Hallelujah. That's how you pray for your brothers and sisters. That's how you honor them with your time. That you, that you pray that they would stand up perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you. And those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Hierapolis. Great zeal. Praying for his brothers. That they would stand up perfect, complete in the will of God. You do that, I tell you, you make your life count before the throne of heaven and you will find great fruitfulness great fulfillment in that hidden service in that hidden service that nobody knows of okay father we thank you today for your wonderful wonderful presence among us oh your people are so wonderful your people are so so special lord we love one another you've given us a love for one another we're all different here, but you've chosen us. You've brought us together as your family. And Lord, I love this church. Lord, I love these people. And Lord, what an honor it is to be a family together, protected by the wonderful presence of God. I thank you for them today. I thank you for their openness of heart. And Lord, as you have planted just your seed, your word in our hearts, I pray that it would grow and bring forth great fruit to glorify you, that our lives would count in this day and in our generation. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.